Oh, and then let's not forget the other great moment. Can you imagine what Twitter would have been like when we found out that Herschel had gone pro? Yeah, the New Jersey Note Generals. Poor, poor one out. Yeah. So. What's up, Georgia fans? My name is Scott Duvall, and you're listening to episode 132 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. Every now and then, we like to have on guests to this podcast, and this is one of those occasions. Today, our co-host, Tony Waller, speaks with longtime Georgia blogger Michael Bronstein. You may know him better as Senator Blutarski of the Get the Picture blog, and are referred to the senator as a longtime blogger because I checked on over at his site, and he first published back on November 26, 2006, which coincidentally is the same year that Twitter was founded. So why do I bring up Twitter? Well, as you know, Twitter is something of a phenomenon, especially during the height of a college football Saturday. The magical 2017 season for Georgia was a perfect example of how Georgia football Twitter shared hot takes, videos, stories, and reactions to big games and critical plays taking place in real time. And one of those topics that Tony and Michael discuss on this episode is a question that was posed yesterday by one of our listeners, I guess you could say. Lee Munger, at Southern Shepherd on Twitter, asked, what would be the top five UGA events you wish Twitter was around for pre-2007? It was definitely an interesting topic to participate in, and they provided a few key events for the men's basketball team and football team. So stick around to hear their complete conversation on that topic and many more. And before we begin, quick note here, this is a Skype call recording, so just bear with us at times when the audio might fluctuate a little bit. But without further ado, here's Tony as he introduces and welcomes Senator Blutarski. All right, uh, this is Tony. I'm today very happy to be joined by Mike Brockstein. Uh, Mike is a fellow Georgia law grad, and most of you know him as Senator, Blutar- Senator Blutarski. Mike, thanks for being on with me this morning. Thanks for inviting me. You know, the funny thing about it is, as we as we discussed in the emails back and forth, uh, a lot of people get wrapped up. It's like, oh, y'all don't talk about players enough or whatever. Uh, honestly, it's it's May, and I, I think since I read your blog enough to know that um, you, you kind of joined me in this, I mean, it's May, right? Why, why, what's there to talk about other than big picture stuff or the stuff like the nonsense that came out in Chicago yesterday? Exactly. I mean, it, basically, if you're going to blog, first rule of blogging is you've got to come out with stuff on a regular basis. I happen to blog daily, and if that means I'm going to blog daily, you, you take what you can find out there. Yeah, it's interesting. You still practice law, unlike the rest of us that are bloggers don't, who don't. Um, <laughs> it's fun. You know, it took me a long time to discover there were bloggers that weren't lawyers. It's interesting how so many of the Georgia bloggers are. I, you know, I went to law school with Kyle King, for example. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just if, – what is it about lawyering that makes us want to put ourselves through this? Uh, we probably have an inflated sense of uh, self-worth, number one. Uh, I can't speak for everybody else, but I, I know in my situation, basically, uh, I, I plunged into blog. I'm a real estate attorney. Yeah. And if you're in my area of the world, basically late 2006 through about 2008 was a very lean time because of the market crash. You had time on your hands. Yes, I did. That's exactly right. I, I had time on my hands and figured, what the hey? And you know, it's funny you mentioned Kyle. You know, he and, and Westerdog. I've been reading their, uh, you know, the, the blogs for a while. And Kyle, in particular, I, I met him at a closing, and 
discussed the fact that I, I read his blog and enjoyed it, and I, I just had this thought in the back of my head, you know, hey, you know, he's a lawyer, he's married, he's got a family and a practice, and he's managing to balance that with writing a blog. I think I can do that, too. There I went. Yeah, it's interesting. Kyle had, before he started blogging, he had a weekly, literally an email list that he sent emails out to um, every week, and I was on that before then, and, you know, Westerdog, I tailgated with Westerdog for three years before I realized who he was. So it's it's interesting. <laughs> well, it, it, honest, it's honest to goodness truth. Um, the only the only way I discovered who it was is when he did One is the Loneliest Number, that video on the Family Friendly Zones. The only way I knew it was him was I knew who was shooting the video because my daughter and I were in that video. And <laughs> so it's just, you know, it's one of those. That's like, I literally, I called him. I was like, are, are you Paul Westerdog? He's like, yeah, you didn't know that? I was like, no, I had no idea. So um, I can tell a similar story. Basically, I had been blogging for about three or four years with my best friends, who I all went to law school with, had no idea. They all read the blog, it turned out, but nobody had an idea that I was Senator Blutarski. And the only reason it came up was uh, we were at, uh, it was a Georgia-Florida weekend, and a Florida blogger who I'd been swapping uh, posts and emails with said he wanted to come by and, and meet me in person. So I mentioned to them that don't get too weirded out when some Florida guy comes by. And I went, you're Senator Blutarski? <laughs> so, yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's You know, I, I started doing this. I'm almost like cheap therapy. Actually, my wife said she can't talk about football all year long. Uh, I live in Illinois and, and did the Bulldog in Exile blog. And um, I had a, you know one of those really weird, weirdly similar things where a guy calls me. It's like, "Hey, are you Bulldog in Exile?" I was like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't think I was. I mean, I wouldn't use my name, but I'm not trying to hide it, right? Really, really tightly." So, um, you know, as we kind of talk about the, as we think about things that went on, one of the things I keep tossing over and over in my head is I, as we have gone away from January the eighth or ninth, whatever date that shall not be named is actually I, I'm, I'm much i'm much like you it's like how can you i mean it's how can you be too i mean you'd be upset about it but you can't you can't be too upset by how that went down what was your favorite thing about last season big picture small picture because um, it clearly was a special season i mean it'll be the rose bowl it'll always be the rose bowl I, I, my immediate reaction after the game was the only post I had after the game was I, I finally had a moment that was greater than the 1980 Georgia-Florida game. I mean, it, it, the whole weekend was fantastic, but that game was just incredible to watch, and I was so glad I was there for it. Yeah, I mean, it, and I, I think I agree with that, the the general sentiment. What do you say to people like, well, we, we lost the national championship game. How can you be happy about last season? I guess I'm a little amazed. My first response to a question like that would be, you know, were you actually expecting Georgia to play for a national championship before the season started? Uh, I think another thing I posted was I felt like we were playing with house money after Georgia won the SEC East in the first place, and it just got better and better. I, I, I you know, I, I just don't understand anybody that can whine, can sit there and grumble about last season. I mean, there was, there was just too much great stuff. I between the bucket list checkoffs at Notre Dame and the Rose Bowl and the fact that Georgia won both those games, the fact that the team bought into what Kirby was selling. I mean, you can go on and on and on. I, I just don't see how you can be that upset with how things went down last season. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing about it to me is that if you had asked any 
rational or irrational Georgia fan in August if uh, winning the what potentially could be what at least right now looks like probably the greatest Rose Bowl of all time, and also losing in overtime to certainly the the best football program of this generation and maybe of all time in their in their run in overtime in the national championship game in Atlanta in front of your people. Would you have taken that in August? I, I don't think anybody would have said, no, I won't take that. We have to win the national championship. I mean, I understand the disappointment, uh, and, and, I, and I get all that, but, I mean, goodness. I mean, who, who ever thought we'd be in a position like that in the first place? And, you know, as a fan, I just don't see how you can grumble much about that. I mean, if you want to grumble about Georgia football, I can give you much better things to grumble about. Hey, hey let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about 2015 or 10 or, you know, the 90s. Exactly. <laughs> I know it's it's that has always been my take. It's like, man, I was in law school and practicing law, lost in Washington D.C. in the '90s. Talk, let's let's talk about bad football. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you know, one of the things, and and this is a recurring theme. I think the reason I know, certainly know the reason I respect what you write so much is that you have very reasoned approaches to all manner of things. And I know one of the things you're passionate about is. Um, I'm trying to think of the the, the politic way to, to say this. Um, the utter lack of self-awareness of the NCAA. You know, I, I'd be really interesting, really interested to know, what would you say is kind of like your ultimate solution to, to what ails them? You know, my bottom line is thing, and it's, it's really funny, and, and first off, let me say, because it it's funny you bring this up. I went back and looked to check my you know, evolution on the, on the subject, and it's really funny. If you go back and look at things I posted in, like, 2010, I was still in favor of some version of amateurism, you know, uh, being, being a value. Uh, and it's just, I mean, the problem I have with the NCAA, I don't know if I'd say that there's a lack of self-awareness. I think they are very honed in on the fact that they are raking in the money, and they really don't want to have to share a penny more than they have to. And the, the means they've got to kind of keep that in place is is very cynical in my mind in terms of, you know, this resort to uh, these players aren't employees, they shouldn't be paid, they're here purely for college education when we know the real business aspect of all that is, is complete nonsense. I mean, you just watch all the things the NCAA does, and you know it, it's it, it's such garbage. So I guess where I get to now, in terms of fixing, it's not like I have an ultimate solution. This is what they should do. I'm more like what they need to recognize is certain basic things, which is number one, these kids are working as hard as anybody else that has a job. Harder, I would say, in, in a lot of cases. The demands on them have gone up dramatically over the last 20 years, all in the name of commercialism. You know, and I'm talking about even stuff like travel demands and and uh, what they have to do in the summer and the off season. I mean, they, they don't have lives anymore. If you're a Powerpoint football program, you're pretty much making a year-round commitment. And the, you know, the flip side of the coin is these kids don't have a great insurance setup, which I think is incredibly obnoxious. Uh, they, they should have a much more supportive long-term, uh, academic route if they want it. Uh, I mean, basically they should be able to come in whenever they want to and, and get their degree. And if it takes them eight years because of whatever else, schools should figure out a way to provide for that. But I think what it really comes down to is just philosophically they deserve to be treated 
like most people in the general economy are treated. You, you, you don't basically get told that you, you can't earn anything off your name, likeness, or image. I mean, nobody else in America has to put up the restriction like that. So to me, it's more, it's more just a matter of the NCAA just needs to start with the basic fairness of recognizing that these kids are being asked to do a lot, and compensation needs to factor into that, particularly in, in the sense that I think anybody that's fair-minded about it uh, and isn't completely swayed by just the romantic aspect of, you know, they're, they're amateurs and, by gosh, leave them like that, there, there needs to be some recognition that the question isn't whether they're receiving compensation, it's whether they're receiving the kind of compensation that any other American would, would receive in an open market. However that winds up playing out, whether it's, you know, the total Wild West that, uh, you know, some of the lawsuits are seeking or what I think is more likely, which is that the NCAA, you know, winds up having to face Letting uh, letting players unionize so they can come up with a you know a, a comprehensive uh, agreement like the pro leagues do in, in in the NFL and NBA you know I don't know what that's going to be but at least you're going to have to give the players some more control over their financial lives. So do you think there's going to be a you know a bright line or watershed moment or do you think it's just the long long arc of history bending towards justice? I honestly think that Jeffrey Kessler is going to win his case. And what happens I mean, that after would be a game that? Changer. Well, it wouldn't have won. It's going to depend. I mean, I, you know, basically what you're going to get to at that point is how desperate the NCAA is to, to hold things together. I, I think as we speak, they're, they're quietly, frantically trying to figure out some way to talk uh, Congress and, the, and uh, the president into some kind of antitrust exemption. The problem, I think, with that is my guess is the political price for that is going to be steeper than the NCAA wants to pay right now. I mean, the most obvious thing I can think of is losing the tax exemption. I, I just don't think they're willing to make that kind of a swap yet because they're still trying to tell themselves, hey, we can win this thing. So um, I think – and if they, if they lose, if Kessler wins, that's definitely going to be – at that point, they're not going to care because – They'll do whatever they have to do to try to get that antitrust exemption, and, and they'll be willing to pay a higher price for it. If that doesn't work, I still think what I still think if they're at that point, if they're facing a reality like that, and again, we're assuming that Kessler wins, and on appeal it gets held up, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, the NCAA is going to try to put things off as long as they can with regard to that. But yeah, I, I don't see how anyway. If it's the NCAA, they've got to at some point in time probably allow for a union because it's the only way they're going to be able to get some control over things. Now that all being said, uh, you know, there's all kinds of different ways this could play out that I'm I'm just not sure about. For one thing, let's not forget that college football and basketball are structured differently from the NBA and the NFL. You've got one league on the pro level, on the college level, you've got conferences and for purposes of antitrust, they are considered competitors. So it's possible you could see, you know, if, if there's no consensus on things, you could see the uh, Southeastern Conference saying, all right, here's how we're, here's our policy for how we're going to compensate players and the Pac-12 coming up with a different rule and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Sort of what we've seen with cost of uh, attendance stipend, but on a bigger scale. The irony here is I don't think it's going to make that much difference when the dust settles. The richer programs are still going to be, you know, where the kids – head towards. It's just going to be they're going to get paid directly instead of through things like waterfalls and $10,000 lockers. Right. 
Yeah, that, and that's probably right. I, the bigger picture is, and for the day-to-day fan, probably what it, what in my mind we'll see is we'll, we will see some sort of restructuring of what we consider to be the Power Five right now to be almost like a, I hate to say like a, almost like a league. Uh, uh, particularly in college football and maybe college basketball, just because of the money, um, to be in a position where they can work together. Because it, it, you know, Will Leach actually made the point that 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 I've been trying to make for years. Um, he did very succinctly. I've, I've long said that fans are now merely props to the product on the field. Um, it, but he he made a better point. It's like we're just extras, right? Um, we're extras in the TV show that is that is football, and. Right. Um, and, you know, frankly, ESPN and the conferences and the schools, for that matter, are not going to be in a position to let – they're just not going to let um, someone else make the decisions about – there's too much – they're too risk-averse to allow someone else to make the decisions about what what happens with that money and tell them how to use that money. You know, a couple of other quick things, you know, you keep talking about – now I don't want to say you're going to stop blogging, but you keep saying that, you know, one of these days it's not going to be funny anymore. Why do you think it's going to make you stop blogging? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. And I guess the simple answer is probably the greed uh, finally gets to me. Uh, and, and that can take place in a number of different ways. I mean, the analogy I've given folks before was you know, going way back to my, my younger days, I was actually a bigger college basketball fan than I was a college football fan. In fact, my choice of college wound up being uh, the deciding factor was that I wanted to see live ACC basketball. And this was back when the NCAA tournament was uh, eight teams. And the college basketball regular season is just a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. And the NCAA has steadily sucked the life out of that by expanding the playoffs to 64 and, of course, making that attempt to take it all the way out to 96. And so basically what you've got now is a college basketball regular season that's nothing more than a seating device. And, you know, I'll go watch a Georgia game just for the entertainment factor or a Virginia game for the entertainment factor, but there's not that same sense of uh, significance to it that there used to be. And that's what's so great about college football. The problem is, and you, you basically touched on this a little bit before, the problem is ESPN and, and, the, and all the broadcast partners that college football has, uh, their, their marketing is towards making college football a national, giving it a national focus to the less than intense fan which basically doesn't play the college football's traditional strengths of, you know, regionalism and, 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 and passion. And what they're going to wind up doing is, is bleeding all that out of the sport, and, and that's probably going to be enough to basically suck the joy out of it for me. I think you're, you're, probably, you're probably right. I mean, and you ended up going to Virginia for undergrad, right? Yeah. So yeah. You would, have, would you have been there with the Ralph Sampson years? Is, do, I, do I have the timeline right? I left just as Ralph was coming in. Okay. Um, yeah, I wasn't sorry for dating you. I was just, I just, you know, it was sitting here thinking, it's like, okay, I could see wanting to go to UVA during that time just because of the, uh, the excitement of, of watching ACC basketball. And, and I like you, I, um, I, I am a rare, uh, college, I, uh, college basketball is 1A to me. Um, uh, especially for a Georgia fan who, you know, who's followed them since the, the middle 80s. Um, so, right. Uh, you know, so, 
one quick thing uh, as a fun thing to, to wrap up. Uh, Lee Munger at Southern Shepherd uh, posted an interesting question bridging off Spencer Hall's piece yesterday on the 17 historical college football moments that we could have used Twitter. And you and I talked about Twitter earlier. I think you are far less prolific on Twitter, probably much to your mental health uh, to, the, than I am. But, um, you know, his point is that Twitter and college football go hand in hand because it's such a there's there's so much of it um, and it allows people to build community around events uh, the Twitter just allows that um, so you know, Lee Munger's question is um, what would be the five top UGA events you wish Twitter was around for and he he put pre 2007 um, I'd be really interested if you had one or two at least I think I know one of them because you you probably mentioned it earlier. Yeah, I mean, what, you know, what I'll say about Twitter is, and it, it's funny, I mean, Twitter to me, I mean, and again, I'm saying this is one blogger to another. For me, the use of Twitter for the most part is just kind of instantaneous short-term burst reaction to something. You know, maybe it's a thought that's popped in my head. Maybe it's watching a football game and, and reacting to an immediate play. But there's not really a ton of depth there. It's more like, you know, Brett is the soul of wit. You pop off a sentence or two about something. So... You know, it's funny when you talk about major events. I mean, I just, you know, I was at the 1980 Georgia-Florida game. Is that something I could tweet about in one sentence? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe not. I, um, and, of course, my other point when, when he mentioned that to me yesterday was, you know, Twitter's as much there for the for the bad as it is for the good. I, I simply cannot imagine what the meltdown over the Herrick situation would have been. It, might, it would have been... You know, just just reading the comments from the you know from the beginning when the news leaked out to talking about Tony Cole to talking about the players getting you know suspended for the postseason and then marching on you know uh, the house only to see the cops get you know called out that that would have been insane and probably not very pretty. So you know, Twitter's I mean Twitter's got its place. I you know I enjoy it. I certainly I certainly look at Twitter a lot because it just simply gives you kind of a, a, a feeling for the flow of how things are going. But in terms of any kind of deep, you know, reaction things, it's it's not the best uh, arena for for that kind of stuff. In in terms of what I would have picked out um, pre two thousand seven, um, yeah, I can imagine what the reaction to Terrence Edwards uh, with in the. Uh, 2002 uh, <laughs> cocktail party would have been like. Um, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I mean, that was the, that, I mean just think about. I mean, that was the game that some. I, I mean, we wound up seeing fans putting up a bill, a billboard apologizing to Terrence for the overreaction from some other people. So that would have been beautiful. And, and, and you know, the other one I can think of because I remember what it was like on the original uh, dog event when I used to post there. But can you imagine what the reaction would have been like after? Georgia beat um, Florida in 97. Yeah. And, you know, people are basically talking about, oh, Spurrier's got to be worried now. Jim Donnan is, you know, here to be his daddy and that, and that kind of stuff. And, of course, you know, a week later they crashed and burned against Auburn. Or how about, how about the 1999 Auburn game? You know, the one where Ben Laird basically embarrassed. Was it Ronnie Dan? Who was a receiver that basically just feasted on um, – yeah, I think it was Ronnie Daniel. I, I, I had to, I'd have to look that. I'll, I'll put Chad on that. That Chad, the intern on that. But I think it was. Um, I think. It I was mean, Ronnie. so there's there's great moments and there's and there's horrible moments. I I, I I hate. I mean, I think Twitter. There's a certain cesspool element to Twitter that really isn't the kind of thing you want to 
you know, delve too deeply into. And, you know, the problem is if you think about pre-2007, we had a long stretch in the wilderness. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have a feeling the ugly probably outweigh the good uh, in an analysis like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think the reason I love Twitter so much is there is a – a shared communality there. Um, I, I kind of liken it to an open tailgate where 70% of the time you're going to run into people who are just like, it's fun, it's good, it's a sense of community. And there's always that one guy that shows up early, drinks all the beer, makes a bunch of noise, kicks over a table and leaves. Um, so, um, but yeah, one of the, I think the one I, I keep coming back to, and I think we're going to actually do this on the podcast. One I keep coming back to is, is Herschel trucking uh, Bates. Um, I think mm-hmm. I think that probably would have melted down, it melted down Twitter, and, and for probably the first time in a long time, Georgia fans um, would have been rightfully um, hubristic. So um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting thought exercise. Uh, I do find it interesting. Um, like most Georgia fans, you find you find the the parts that were where Twitter would have been like, ugh, I can't. I'm so glad Twitter wasn't around then, because um, I think I agree with you about about Herrick as well. Um, well, you use Herschel's example. Imagine what Twitter would have been like once oh. Dooley's big stiff back quote got out in fall practice. Just yeah. imagine what the wrist slitting would have been like on Twitter yeah. for a week. Well, and then old 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 takes exposed would have had just had a field day with that. So. Um, oh, and then and then let's not forget the other great moment. Can you imagine what Twitter would have been like when we found out that Herschel had gone pro? Yeah, the New Jersey Note Generals, poor, poor one out. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. I think it, now that I think about it, I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to spend some time thinking about this rather than just simply firing off five. Um, so, well, Mike, I really appreciate the opportunity to to chat with you. For those of you who I can't possibly imagine you don't know this, check out, get the picture. Mike is is the undisputed king at uh, at, at blogging. It's a Georgia fan. Uh, and there's a reason for that. He's smart. He looks at problems in a very unique way. He is not prone to fire off uh, quick one-liners. And probably most importantly is, is he is not unwilling to change his mind about things if he is proven wrong about them, which doesn't happen very much. Mike, I really appreciate you joining me today. Tony, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks a lot. Go dogs. Go dogs, indeed. And thanks so much for listening. If you don't already follow Michael, a.k.a. Senator Blutarski, on Twitter, you can do so by searching for at MummyPoll. That's M-U-M-M-E-P-O-L-L. His website is Blutarski, B-L-U-T-A-R-S-K-Y, dot WordPress, dot com. If you'd like to tweet our show, it's pretty simple. We are at WSLS Podcast. The three of us will be back together podcasting maybe by the end of this month. And if not then, then we'll definitely do one in June, maybe two. We'll touch on the drafting of the Bulldogs and how we think that those players that were drafted to like the Patriots and the Browns and the Bears fit with their respective new clubs. The Diamond Dogs also just finished up their second season sweep in a row of the Yellow Jackets and are in prime position to host an NCAA baseball regional coming up. Plus, we'll jump into depth charts and all of the good stuff post-spring practices Kirby and the guys get closer to fall camp. Oh, and one more thing about our podcast. It took about three and a half years but we finally got ourselves a website complete with a blog and a few bios about the three of us. One blog post is already up and we are set to contribute a few more in the coming months. So go ahead and bookmark WSLSpodcast.com and we'll let you know when we have some new material posted. Until next time, have a great rest of your week or month, depending on when we publish again. Enjoy your travels this summer and we'll see you on campus this fall.
As always, go dogs. <laughs>